everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with Jimmy. Hi Jimmy. Hi Steph. And we are here once again in our excellent studio to start a new series for the podcast. And this new sort of sub-series, which we'll do sort of intermittently, yeah. you know, maybe once a month, possibly, we'll <laughs> you know, we will see. Maybe when, when the mood when, strikes us. Yes, when, when the mood strikes us, we'll be, we'll be taking up this series on film noir. Yes. And the reason that we've decided to, to take up a, a series on film noir is Jimmy and I are both huge film noir fans. Which we only discovered by accident recently. Which we only <laughs> discovered by accident recently. So, you know, occasionally we would probably do to talk more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've been re-watching, I've always been interested in film noir and I've been re-watching some film noirs in my spare time, such that it is. And Jimmy, you've always been a fan of film noir too? Yes, yes. Uh, I've been watching them for quite a long time now. Um, and it's... Um, yeah, it's a genre that I, I suppose ties in really ne- neatly with some of the stuff that I love, which is detective fiction, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it kind of came out of that, but yes, absolutely love film noir. Well, see, I came to it due to my love of old movies. So when I was a kid, I used to watch a lot of old movies with my mother. And um, I, I sort of, as a teenager, sort of gravitated towards the darker kind of crimey <laughs> stuff. Um, Jeez, unlike you. Yeah, yeah. And I love the femme fatales. And I, I just love the, the mood, the atmosphere evoked by film noirs is just... It's just so much. They're so much fun. They're sexy. They're um, dark. They're disturbed. They've got great female characters. They've got great plots. Well, some of them have great plots. Mm. Um, and they're a very distinctive type of film. Yeah. You know, when you watch a film noir, you know straight away that this is a, a film noir. Yeah. You know, it's not like you can confuse it for any other genre. Yeah. Because um, it, it's it's got an atmosphere, uh, which I suppose is where the, the noir part comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just associate it with, you know, trench coats yes. and, you know, dark streets mm. and, you know, mysterious well, I think about that, women. Um, I think about that Chandler line, you know, the mean streets are yeah. of crime. You know, for me, that's that's the noir yeah. setting. Well, today we're going to start off with a noir that I absolutely adore. It's probably uh, not the most well-known noir um, now, but I, you know, certainly at the, at the time it was very popular mm. and, um, and it, you know, it has a... Now a good reputation in in the kind of oeuvre of film noir, and that's Laura. Yes, um, by Otto Preminger, and one that's actually growing substantially. So I've noticed um, as the years progress, more and more people are beginning to talk about this film, and more and more people are beginning to write about this film as well. So it's one that's beginning to pick up a little bit more attention, I think because it surprisingly doesn't age um, as badly as some of the other No, that's right. It's quite a contemporary, quite a modern film uh, in certain perspectives. So um, there's one thing I want to talk about, but I want to go with what you're interested in about Laura first. So so what did you really love about Laura? Okay, I think, um, for a start, we should say that Laura is based on a book by Vera Mm. Kaspari, which I recently, I had seen Laura before, I revisited it um, this year, and I read the book this year, which I absolutely love, but we'll talk about the film. Um, I love the wit the characters i love laura herself um in that she's so mysterious and there's something quite not quite right about her well there's a lot of things that aren't quite right about her um i I love that that almost has to be a staple of um yeah yeah isn't it that there's something always not quite right about them yeah and like you think that i mean you know she's not the worst of the femme no, fatales no, by no. any stretch, but there's Probably just one of the better ones, actually. It, yeah, actually, yeah, she's mm. 
much more sort of morally upright than most <laughs> um, femme fatales. But at the same time, there's something not quite right. I love the relationship she has with her um, fiancé, which is all sorts of weird. Um, <laughs> and great performances in mm. the film. Just beautiful. I mean, you've got a film with Jean Tierney, who is yes. one of the, I think, probably the most Gorgeous. underrated yeah, Hollywood celebrity of her time. She's stunning to the point where it's it almost is distracting. Um, and, you know, Vincent I mean, Price, her, of course. Even her portrait was a little bit distracting. Yeah, I know, because it's so beautiful. Vincent Price, you know, and Judith Anderson. In a very unusual role, Vincent Price. Yes. Because you're expecting Vincent Price and you're expecting old Vincent Price, you know, that yeah, like creepy old man. Horror, you know, horror yeah. Vincent Price. But this is a different type of Vincent Price that I think most viewers wouldn't be as familiar with. Yeah, young and like... Almost dashing, I would dashing, say. Dashing, yeah, and like gigolo yes. <laughs> some in some respects. Before he became a creepy old man. Before he became a creepy old man. He was a dashing man. gigolo. Yeah, dashing. Di- and of course, Walter Leidecker. Yes. One of the great characters in film noir. But what do you like about Laura? Well, actually, it's um, it's the Walter Leidecker character. Yes. Because I think he's one of the most unusual characters to appear in a film noir. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a, a fantastic review from uh, one of my favourite film critic, Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. who ranked it as one of his uh, favourite noir films of mm-hmm. all time. And he mentioned a scene, which I had to revisit because I didn't notice what he noticed in it, which was that opening scene mm-hmm. with um, the detective, his name completely escaped Yeah, me I now. mean, the, the detective's name escapes me too, which is probably good indication. Because he's kind of yeah, a boring yeah, hero, yeah, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is a boring hero. He's, I mean, and, I mean that, that's a, almost one of the hallmarks sometimes of these um, uh, film noirs, that, the hero is always the least interesting yeah. figures in mm. a lot of the film noir, and he certainly is, you know, one of the least interesting. Well, he has one interesting trait, which we'll talk about. But anyway, yes. go back to the first scene. Yeah, so in the first scene, I don't know whether you remember, but he goes and visits um, Lydica. How could you forget? Because he's literally sitting in the bar. I know, right? What an odd scene. Yes. Like it's such a, a bizarre scene to have, and one of the things that he... you mean you don't receive visitors in the bath. While you're writing your latest <laughs> criticism, yeah, yeah, of your whatever piece of your witty bon mots, yes, yeah, mind you, that's a spectacular bath. <laughs> it is a spectacular. And you're, bath. you're a bath person. I'm so. a bath person. I would spend a lot of time in the bath uh, if I had that bath, but I probably would not receive visitors. Oh, no, uh, I imagine you would like to have one of those little oh, those tables, little tables too, so yes, yes. Type away, you know, imagine he, doing your work. He's there. a man who knows luxury. <laughs> I know. He knows how to live. But he receives a visitor, mm-hmm. nude. In the bath. Mm-hmm. And then the scene that Ebert pointed out, which I missed, was that uh, when he asked for his robe... He stands <laughs> he's, he's out. He's completely naked and asked for his robe. And the detective, his name we've forgotten, uh, glances down and then smiles and hands in his, his robe. And I had to watch that and I thought, was Ebert exaggerating? And I watched it and I went, no, he wasn't. No, he, he wasn't, no. He, he actually, he does. He goes, Okay. <laughs> And that sets up the queerness that to come. Up, exactly. <laughs> that sets up almost the strange tone that permeates yes. Laura. You know, it's it's a film where you don't quite know how to take it because Lydica is obsessed with Laura. Yes. And it begs the question, what exactly will he do with her once he gets her? Dress her up, apparently. Dress, dress her up, buy, yeah. a, buy her excellent clothes. Yeah. I mean, Ebert has an interesting suggestion. He said that the only way the Laura triangle or whatever it is you want to call it would work mm. is if you see Laura as a boy. Yeah, I mean obviously Waldo is played as gay. Yes. Um or as queer in 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 his affect and, mm. and his character. I mean the the fussiness, the um 
the pedantic the, the pedantic yeah the the kind of witty man about town is obviously set up i mean i think those those sort of stereotypes can mm. be quite tired now yes. but i think at the time it was obviously coded as as queer mm. and the actor who played him was also queer mm. um in real life so i think that you know you don't have to look very hard to find the, the gay subtext here it's, it's pretty overt um I think that what he wants is not to sleep with her, but to control her, to make her into this doll of his own making, mm. you know, dress her up. Um, and but he doesn't want other men to her. have her. That's, yes, that's the bizarre the com- thing. The complication is that he doesn't want other men to have her. I wonder if that's because he wants her to be sexless, mm. because he doesn't want her sexually. No. And he doesn't seem to want her sexually. Their relationship is, is almost... It's father daughter. Yeah, but but a he creepy does, father daughter. Yeah, but creepy father daughter. That's right. Controlling father Controlling daughter. Controlling father daughter. I mean, he, I think a doll is probably an easy way to look at it because he, yeah, he likes dressing her up. He likes showing contro- her off. Yeah, showing off. He likes yeah. controlling what she does, what she, you know, the way she acts. It's almost like he takes um, credit for yes. everything that she succeeds in. It's kind of like you know, she's only successful because I've made her that way. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, like, he's the one who's discovered her. And, you know, he frames that to the detective as, like, well, look at what I've done Mm. to, you know, cultivate her, I suppose. Um, But the open question there is, you know, has he done anything for her or has he just, you know, has he just really controlled her? Because he seems... The way that he tells the story is that she's very happy to be his life protege. Yes, you know, to to dress in these clothes and to go to parties and mm. to you know, which be... I think initially she was. Yeah, but it, it's clear later on in the film um, that she isn't. No, yeah, <laughs> that she does chafe against that. That she has got a problem with that. She has, mm. I think, a great affection for him in some respects, but she also does feel controlled by him yes to various degrees i mean one of the relationships i sort of compare it to was almost like a um the pygmalion myth yeah if, if pygmalion was gay <laughs> if pygmalion was gay and had no intention of sleeping with his statue with his yeah. statue you know uh, but just wanted to you know to show her off and have her as this beautiful object and then what would happen if you know um galatea suddenly developed a personality, uh, a personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. rebels against him. Well, which I mean, you can almost see My Fair Lady coming, or, or you know, yeah. the Malian, uh, played by George Bernard Shaw, come into effect again with the Henry Higgins character. Um, if he was gay, yeah, this is what possibly could have happened. Yeah, because I mean, he does have that astounding. I mean, the interior set decoration of this movie is off the hook. Mm. His apartment is amazing and her <laughs> apartment is amazing. And like he collects these, you know, ornate clocks and all of this. So I don't he know has... how a critic can afford all that to be honest. Yeah, I know. I think this is, you know, this is like the the 1943 equivalent of Carrie Bradshaw's, know. you know, ridiculous <laughs> apartment that she would never have been able to afford on one column a week. Yes. Um so yeah, like I think that he she is a beautiful object. She is. And he collects beautiful objects. And she's gorgeous. And, mm. they, and the, the film does go a long way towards, you know, lighting her and dressing her and mm. um, making her look stunning. Mm. Um, well, know, you something should, should, that yeah. is, should be collected. Yeah. Uh, but the other interesting thing also about the film is that we don't actually see Laura until I think we're about the halfway mark. Are we going to spoil it? I think we have to. There's no way we can actually talk about this film without okay. without major spoilers. All right. Well, I'm just going to warn listeners that you should absolutely not listen um, from this point onwards because this has a great twist. And if you don't, several great twists actually. Several great twists, but one particular, one particular twist one, yeah. um, that comes about 
say the first yeah around about third of the third film? or almost halfway through almost the half film. yeah yeah um so you yes so you probably don't want to listen and go watch it and come back and we'll still be here chatting about Laura <laughs> <laughs> all right so now that you've been subsequent you have been warned yep she comes back. She's she not dead. Back. She's not dead. <laughs> but before we get to the not dead part, let's talk about another strange thing, which, you know, this is in a way a noir film, but it's also a very strange noir because it yes. doesn't fit with a lot of the noir no. um, tropes, one of which is that the detective falls in love with... A dead the, woman. A, a dead woman. Yes. <laughs> so well, that makes him interesting. That makes him interesting, um, but it also makes him kind of superficial too. But anyway. Uh, it, it does, Yes. Yeah, and, and there's this really strange shot of him falling asleep, um, I think, underneath Under the, the portrait. Under pa- the portrait. The portrait in her apartment. Yeah, in her apartment. Great, like, it, yeah. it's this really strange... Um, it's almost Wuthering Heights, I suppose, when I think about it. Um, creepy. It's like he's dreamed her into being. Yes. And then she appears. Yes, and in for a moment hat. where yeah, yeah, and for a moment you're thinking, is this the dream? Yes. Because you're not quite sure what's going on, and I think that's the beauty of that twist, because you didn't actually see it coming where you're actually now yeah. thinking... Because he's fallen asleep, have we now gone into his you know, unconscious into his and dream, yeah. into his dream and not even realise it? it? I think it takes a little while to adjust to, to yeah. this twist, which is a really, really uh, fantastic um, device that, mm. that's used to keep you really interested and really have no idea where the story is going. Because you think he's investigating her murder yes. and then falling in love with the, the victim he's supposed to be investigating. Yes. And then turns out, well, she's not dead, so who's actually dead now? Yeah, well, quite. And, I mean, the other great thing about it, too, is that you could kind of read the rest of the film, although, obviously, the rest of the film, you know, it's established it is happening, but it almost is a dream because, Mm. you know, she almost immediately turfs the fiancé and gloms onto him and falls in love with him back for, like, very quickly for no sort of good reason. Um, And so he gets his fantasy. He does. And as a femme fatale, she's not a particularly effective fatale in that she doesn't she's not a particularly scheming no. femme fatale you know she she almost seems to be the victim of all these men trying to manipulate and control uh, what yes. she does and who she is and the way she behaves and everything yeah and it's almost like the minute she decides she's going to take a break from all that she gets murdered or she, people yeah. think she gets murdered yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's almost like she can't escape this this control that a lot of the men in her life have including her fiance I think so it's one of the reasons yeah. She, she tries to, to escape from him as well. Yeah, they all sort of read things into her, don't mm. they? You know, like Waldo wants to collect her and, you know, show her off and dress her up and pimp her out kind of thing. Um, and then her fiancé sees her in a certain way, which is a sort of, she's going to make his career. Um, and yeah. They, yeah. They, they all see her as something that they can, uh, they can a, use, they can use yeah. and gain from. Mm. Um, and it's almost as if her beauty is actually... Um, is working against her. Yeah. She's so beautiful. She's Mm. almost too beautiful that no one will actually see her for who she is, Mm. but rather just what she could mean to them. She becomes like a blank canvas for men to um, project project their desires and, you know, their wants upon uh, and whatever they do. And then when she finally sort of snaps from that and breaks away from society, she potentially would have been murdered except for one strange little move that she does, which saves her in the long run, but not the poor woman who takes her place. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if we in the audience are encouraged to do the same thing too because, you know, her she is so beautiful, Jean Tenney, and, mm. um, 
you know, the way she's dressed, she's very sort of comfortable clothes and, you know, the way she's lit. Well, in the height of fashion. The height of fashion, absolutely. And like the way that the light, you know, that brilliant scene where he interrogates her by shining a light on her her face face. and she just somehow is the only person in the world who stands (laughs) up to that kind of light. Like every other woman would be like, oh, and she just somehow looks more beautiful. Um, I wonder too, if we're in the audience, we are encouraged certainly in the first half of the movie where we only see her as like Mm. this, you know. Where she's silent. She's she's silent, but she's this like glamorous career girl mm. who you know is a typist and somehow rises to the top of her advertising agency. Mm. And she's glamorous and she's gorgeous and she's got this you know exotic life. Um, so we project onto her too that this is a woman who has everything. She's got this beautiful apartment. Mm. It, we covet what she has as well. And yes. so we're another. We're asked to be, I think, another person in her life yes. that wants something from her. That desires her for support. That desires her without mm. and yeah, you're right, she's voiceless. She can't yeah. she can't voice that desire back. Mm. And and when she finally does, I think this is one of the things that I'm always not sure about with the film. You know, does she actually feel anything for that detective or is he yeah. just simply another step that she you know, another man who mm. she will eventually discard because it doesn't quite you know, it isn't what she wants. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yes, I, pr- I think that's probably <laughs> like if we were to project beyond the, the, the film, I can't imagine that he'd be interesting enough for her. No. Um, and, you know, she does have Vincent Price as, as her fiancé. And, <laughs> and I don't know how to interpret that relationship quite. I don't know if she's interested in him or if he just represents a way to get away from Waldo. Um, I think he, he just represents something for, for her to get away from. Yeah. Lydica, so... Uh, I don't think, I mean, I, I think she does say in the film, I could be wrong, but I think she does say in the film that something, and, and it might have been the scene where he shines the light on her, mm. where she said, you know, um, I can't ever imagine when I would have ever been in love with him. Yeah. Something to that effect. Um, well, he's such an idiot. He is such an idiot. <laughs> and, but then the the detective, I think, in that scene said something really interesting, which is that he said, um, are you just saying that or are you saying that because you know that's what I want to, to hear? Yeah. And so maybe she is just saying it. Yeah, and I just think it feels as if she's learnt a lot from Lydica and she's beginning to play these men. Yeah. And from that perspective, she then fits into that mould of the, the femme fatale a lot uh, a lot better, I suppose. You know, she, she... Maybe she's been playing them all this entire time because remember the first time she sees Waldo? Yes, she's, she definitely she, plays him. She plays him because she wants something from him, mm. which is his endorsement for an ad, it. and mm. she gets it. And she does it by being, you know, very sort of delightful and, mm. you know, earnest. And she certainly parlays that into a very successful career because that's she how does. she's able to, mm. you know, progress up the ranks in her company mm. and become, you know, Miss Advertising. Yes. Uh, 1943. Um, but then she can't shake this, you know, yeah, but then she can't possessive guy off. Yeah. yeah, but then she can't shake him off. But at the same time, I think she knows how to manage him. In a way, to like, a certain extent, I yeah. think. You know, I think I think she does underestimate him, or she underestimates. Yeah, well, she underestimates. Yeah, that he will actually resort. Yeah, Again, we're going to spoil it. Mm. <laughs> Guess who the murderer is, guys? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way, it's not that much of a mystery. I think. I mean. Yeah, I was surprised at all. Like you know, it, it's not something <laughs> where you're like, oh, oh my god, I'm so surprised yeah, yeah, yeah. with him in the in the end. Uh, I think it's more. You're more interested in why he does it. Yeah, that's right. You know. Why would he want to kill her if he's so obsessed with her? Mm. Um, and again, it kind of reminds me of um, uh, another quote this time from uh, I think it's uh, Oscar Wilde: you know, "Each man kills the things he loves." Yeah. And I wonder if it's, it's something to that effect because the, the mystery of Laura, 
and mm. I think that's probably why the film is called Laura too, is, is that she's undefinable. Yeah, that's right. She is. No. Yeah, we never know actually what she feels or thinks. Yeah, or, or thinks. Yeah. And it almost seems as if she just mirrors what these men want mm. in her life. And we never quite get a glimpse as to who the real Laura actually is. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, um, you know, obviously when he kills her, that's a, a way of a mechanism to try and control her prior mm. to her, you know, impending marriage. Um, and then when, but then when she comes back and he realises that he's killed the wrong woman mm. um, and then sort of tries it on again, again, that's an attempt to get her away from her new love interest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there is a, there's all sorts of ideas here about control and about... And about creation as well, yeah. I think. You know, because he feels as if he's created her. And then she sort of rebelled against him. And she rebels him. him, so he then has the right to destroy his creation. Yeah, the more I think about him, the more I think it's Pygmalion. It, it's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I get a very strong Pygmalion vibe yeah. out of him, but again, a gay Pygmalion. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting on so many different strange levels because he doesn't sculpt a man, he sculpts a woman. Um, yeah. And it, it's almost as if she's his weapon against a heteronormative world. Yes. That, you know, she, she would act in the way that he would love to act. In, in yeah, and, he, and she sort of provides him, hmm. I don't know, like a... Not an excuse, but a kind of um, companion in order to to get along with. It. I love that scene where he's being creepy, but he's at there at the party and he's and, um, he comes up to her and she's I think flirting with Vincent Price, and he's like, "This is appalling. We have to go. These terrible people must leave. we must leave immediately." And it's so funny and and almost charming, but at the same time controlling. I mean, he, yes. what he does. Clifton Webb, I think, is, is the actor's Webb, yeah. name. Yeah, he makes this controlling, awful man. Really, when you think about it, or also incredibly funny and charming. You're yeah. right; he's almost on his side, even though you're like, the, what you're doing is really creepy and bad. You almost kind of don't want him to be the criminal. Yeah, because he's just so funny. <laughs> he is, and he's the most, for me anyway, he's the most interesting Definitely. character in the entire film. Definitely, you know, he, he's the one that you return to over and over and over again because there's so much happening with his character. And yeah. Uh, and he's much more complex than any of the other male characters in yes. this particular. You know, his rival here is Laura, who who is the unknowable. Yes. You know, whereas he, he's complex and fascinating, she's kind of mysterious and elusive. And elusive. You know, who yeah. who is Laura? Yeah. And and why is this complex man so fascinated and drawn to this woman? And the book actually does his voice brilliantly, <laughs> like this kind of really camp wittiness, <laughs> and you can see what his um, criticism, like he's, he's a writer and he produces yes. this kind of witty Oscar Wilde-esque hmm. criticism and you can see in his, in the book what that would look like. I mean, she doesn't give you any you know long pieces but you just get this sense of his voice hmm. and he is so interesting and then like somehow he manages to get his way all the time. Like, I'm sorry Mr. Detective, why are you taking him with you I know. To, it's another bizarre <laughs> to thing to interview <laughs> other suspects <laughs> Which, what kind of detective would take yeah. a suspect yeah. along for the... <laughs> hey, guy, you're a suspect. Why don't you come with me? And, and his reasoning was really bizarre, too. He's like, no, I want to come along because I like to look at the faces of people yeah. you know, involved in crime or something to that. Yeah. And you're like, 
What? Okay. Yeah. Wouldn't you, as a detective at that stage, go, yeah. okay, okay. prime suspect here. number one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, like, you know, I, I suppose this is, uh, again, our contemporary perspective, but, like, you know, all those serial killer things that you and I watch, <laughs> like, the person you've got to watch out for is the person who insinuates himself into the investigation, yes. and this is, like, the prime example of that. Oh, hi, I'm just going to take over your investigation and come with yeah. you the entire time. But it just makes, you know, that, that <laughs> detective figure so bizarre as well. Yeah. Why does he allow it? Why does he, you know, um, go along with this? And that happens, I think, right after the whole strange nude bathing scene. Yes. Too. So there's this strange homoerotic thing yes. going on in this scene where it's almost like the two men are attracted to each other, but they're not at the same time. I think this and movie is is very queer. It is extremely queer in like a number of ways. In not a only of ways. that, but also you know Laura and her housekeeper. Yes. Um, and of course, like you've got like actors that are associated with that kind of queer camp yes. persona like Vincent Price yes. like and uh, um, oh, I've forgotten her name now Judith Anderson the Judith one who Anderson, played yes. Mrs Danvers yes. you know, she's she's coming off like playing Mrs Danvers in Rebecca one of the great yes. kind of coded lesbian characters of all time mm. um so yeah this this movie has a real queer which could be a new item we've revisited another yes we will we'll do ha- we do have to re- revisit mm. Rebecca cuz I do Definitely. love Rebecca I do mm. love Rebecca too but yeah I think that it it has a, a a really quite overt queer sensibility running through the whole thing. I know, the only thing they need to do is throw Rock Hudson in there. And yeah, I know, we would be... <laughs> We'd be like, okay, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also the source of why it has um, maintained its its freshness, I think. Yes, this I agree. This queer sensibility yeah. has um, made it age surprisingly well. And that idea of, like, coercive control, we talk about that a lot mm. now in terms of, like, domestic violence. Yes. And you, you see that coercive control being mm. played out um, over Laura by various men in her life, and, and but again, on the flip side, you can also see her as, as somebody who's not allowing it to happen, but manipulating as well. Yes, yeah, and she's the, definitely yeah, she's playing not a along. Victim. No, she's not yeah. a victim, um, mm. and I think I think she play plays the men at their game, and she succeeds. Yes, I think she does it probably better than they realize. Yes, because I think she. She manipulates them just as much as she allow she allows them to manipulate her. And yeah. I think that's almost the key there that we always think that she's being manipulated by all these men, but every now and then I kind of get a glimpse, you know, that she knows what she's doing well, and I, she's using the men just yeah. as much as they're using her. And I think that's another reason why it again has survived so well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. I think that that is picked up for me in the scene where she's she's talking to the detective and she's saying, "Oh no, I won't contact anybody. It's fine. I'll mm. just go to bed." And then the second he leaves, she rings. Yes, Price's character. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, you know what's. I know. Yeah. She, you're like, no, she's she's <laughs> she, not as you know innocent or as naive yeah. as you it's might like, think. You she's. know what's happening. But you know, I mean, going back to even that. Um, how she introduces herself to, to the Lydica mm. character. You know, she she plays him very well. You know, mm. she, she gets his interest, which is something and that... She, and she gets his interest by flattering his vanity. Mm. Oh, you know, if you... You know, because she wants him to endorse an ad for a pen, and she's like, oh, you know, but if you did this, it would change our lives, and it would mm. make the company, and it would make my life. And she just gives him what he wants, yeah. which is praise. Yes. <laughs> you know? and, and she's a great reader of men. Yes. So she knows how... Um, they interact and she knows how they behave and, and she plays off that and I don't know whether it's purposeful in, in the entire film but I, I got that very strong sense when I was watching especially the second time around mm. that she was um, a lot more manipulative than I had remembered 
her being, but it's it's a very subtle. It's a very subtle thing. Even the way that she interacts with the detective, she mm. she sort of plays house and starts yeah. cooking, and well, you know, well, like which is why yeah. I always question, you know, does she actually love him, or is she kind of using him here to get what she wants out of this particular, which is to escape the whole Lydica you know, yeah. obsession thing. So and and just to you know, like also to act on her desires, you know, mm. she she clearly finds Vincent Price's character attractive, mm. and so she uses him as much as she wants and then she sort of tires of him and, and moves on and perhaps this is the same thing. She's just she's not interested in, in marriage or a relationship but she thinks that um, you know, these people are useful for either money or sex and then when I'm bored of them, I'll move on. I'll move on, yeah. I kind of think like my own personal interpretation is that she's just using um, Mr. Boring Detective and she's gonna move on and turf him yeah. too when he becomes less interesting mm. and useful. Well, it also reminds me a lot, um, and, and again, I think this is why it, it's aged very well, of contemporary relationships too. Mm. So it's, it's not a very, um, what was this, 1950s? It's 40s. 40s, yeah. yeah 19, mm. It's not a very 1940s mentality yeah. for a relationship. It's, it, it's very it's sophisticated. It's a very contemporary, yeah. you know. You know um, I was going to say it's, it's a love triangle, but then when I try to map out all the different relationships, it extends beyond a triangle. because Well, there's got, her aunt as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We've got all these different people who are in love with you know different sets yeah. and they're kind of combined together and it's almost like this mass orgy of every character is in love with another character and it kind of links them to yeah. each other and all road leads back to Laura. You know, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Yes. Um, but there's all these side affairs going on and so it's quite a complex network yeah, you know, of, of sexual relationships and it's quite sophisticated. It I is, think. It, yeah. it is very sophisticated, but it's very modern mentality as well. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it hasn't dated in that way. Although there are dated things about yes. it, um, it hasn't, it doesn't look kind of offensive in the way that sometimes <laughs> you know these old films, even if I love them, mm. can sometimes wander into an offensive space. Well, she's a surprisingly liberated woman for yeah. the period you know, yeah. that she's in. She, she knows her own mind, she knows what she wants, and she's not afraid to go out and get it. And she's sexual but is not punished. Yes, yes. Which is, again, rare for the time but also rare for film noir. Yes. She doesn't end up dead, like, I mean, although she mm. starts the film dead, but she doesn't end up dead. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, like so many film Which is noirs, a reversal, really. <laughs> yeah, well, so many film noirs, the, you know, the femme fatale ends up dead. Or captured, you know. Or, or captured yeah. or... Or punished to some degree. Punished, yeah. I mean, in this one, she doesn't. She actually gets. She gets a happy ending. Yeah, Yeah. happy ending. I mean, I don't think I can think of another film noir where the femme fatale gets such a happy ending. I mean, maybe Gilda, but that's. I don't think that's happy ending because they have a (laughs) terrible relationship. Um, But I can't think of another one where the femme femme fatale fatale isn't punished. No, they often have quite bad endings. Endings. Um, Although, oh. I suppose um, the big sleep. Yeah, but the real femme fatale is is, is, the, is yeah, the sister. Yeah, yeah. which you know, another spoiler, but yeah, <laughs> another episode to come. Um, yeah, so many different ones we can talk about. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that could be a, a task for the next episode. Try to find find another a, another femme fatale who gets such who, a who positive gets, ending. Who gets such a positive ending? Yeah. Well, that's why you can read this as really feminist, I think, because it is a a story about a woman who, yes, is 
an object of desire projected mm. upon by men, but who the film suggests subtly is is undermining that and he's actually yes. playing them and then yeah. gets her victory and she gets at the end to get rid of the the stupid fiance. She got <laughs> she's gotten rid of, you know the, the obsessive stalker. The obsessive stalker's dead, you know, dying. Oh, I no. love you. <laughs> um, Laura. Um, and she and gets the detective here. I'm she sure she'll be able to get guilty when she wants to. Yeah, yeah. She gets to have her fun with him and then to him if, if she she so chooses and she gets to you know and have her beautiful apartment still and her and her lovely place career. in the country and her success, and she has a successful, successful career as well career. that's the other yeah. thing you know um, she's a career girl she's a career girl she's not somebody who's just you know on the sidelines of you know, mm-hmm. these more powerful men yeah uh, and she uses the powerful men in a way to get to further that, her career to further her career yeah you know, so she's uh, she's somebody who knows her mind very yeah much, I think. and she gets to you know her her life will continue on in the same way being successful and glamorous and beautiful and getting about town and doing all the things. And, you know, now she has a bit of notoriety too, mm. so that can only <laughs> add to her kind of allure to the public, you know, the girl that was dead but then wasn't. Yes. Um, so she really comes off very well Yeah, she does, film. actually. You know, now that you mention her, I was trying to think of another uh, femme fatale who might have yeah. you know, come off as, as, as well. And usually, no. Yeah. They're mostly punished for their sexuality, for their yeah, um, for their power. That brief moment where they, where they have that power, or they or they're like monstrous for their sexuality. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking even of Double Indemnity. I mean, she's obviously oh. punished, and like the oh, way she, that she's wonderful. She is wonderful, but like the way that she's so overtly sexual right from the beginning. Yeah, you know, she's that, a predator. You know that she's up to no good. You know, mm. it's not like she's just a woman with a sexual drive. She's, yes. she's bad. Whereas Laura puts on more that angelic yeah. thing, um, angelic aura, even though you know she's not quite. Yeah, she's but, not quite what yeah, she seems. Yeah, yeah but, but she comes across a lot more innocent. Um, and the beautiful, well, again, that beautiful lighting on her yes. face and like the way that hat, she and wears this wide brim hat, <laughs> but it, it's designed to make her look like she's got a halo above her. But, and I think, and, and like. that sweeping music. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that beautiful soundtrack. That beautiful soundtrack. score that yeah. continuously plays and reminds us of, you know, that almost that grandness of, yeah. of Laura. I just, I think this is a great movie. I think it, yeah, as you say, it holds up really well. The performances are great. I mean, it is chopped to the absolute rafters with great actors. Yeah, and I think what makes it a particularly great film is that we can talk about all these flaws and all these implausibility in the plot and the film and in the way it works, but it doesn't actually detract it from how no. successful and how evocative the film is. Like, you know, you, yeah. you watch it and you may say, yeah, but why would you do that and why would you do that? But then you're you're happy to overlook that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, we talk about why would he let, you know, yeah. um, Lydica follow along with the investigation. You're kind of like, but it makes a great story that he does follow along. And then, like, and then he has some great one-liners. Exactly. You know, the great one-liners in this film is something we haven't really so, talked about. Like, he has some really funny lines and the only way you get those funny lines is to keep him in the scenes. Exactly. So you don't care that it's artificial. And it also means that, you know, you don't have to spend a long time with the boring detective by himself yeah, doing playing this investigation. Yeah, playing his baseball playing his, game. Yeah, I know. I'm like, this is the 20, the, like, 1940s <laughs> version of a Game Boy or, a, or an iPhone or mobile phone. game. Yeah, ex- ex- you know, exactly. I don't like playing his at all. You know, fidget spinners. Fidget, yeah, like it's a little baseball, handheld baseball game, which everyone finds annoying and I also find annoying. So, yeah, but I, I agree. You, you overlook the kind of plot contrivances because it's just so good. It's so stylish and so, oh, it's just it, it does. Yeah, I think mm. what it does well, it does incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and that and I think... the is great. Yeah. yeah. And I think that allows you to overlook 
um, a lot of the things that you normally wouldn't yeah. overlook. I mean, if if it's a poorly made film, the first thing you would do is pounce on all these yeah. you know, um, plot holes. But I think one of the things we also have to keep in mind with noir is that it's it's known for having convoluted plots. Oh, yes. I mean, you know, when we get to the big sleep... I still don't what, understand what happens in the big sleep. I still don't understand half of, you know, where some of those storylines go in, in, in the big I, sleep. I, literally, I, I do not understand what happens in the big, <laughs> big sleep. I cannot tell you. I think I have an idea, but anyway, I, I need to revisit it because it's been such a long time since I've But watched. even while I'm watching it, I don't understand. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think one of the hallmarks of film noir is that it has to have these long, convoluted plots um, mm. in a way to confuse and confound you so that by the time you get to the end, mm. you're almost relieved that, that they've captured somebody or, or anybody, yeah. um, but you're willing to overlook a lot of that. And Laura mm. is kind of a good example of that kind of convolutedness yeah. of a plot. But its implausibility is something that I find really interesting because most of the time I'm not willing to overlook implausibility. Yes. Most of the time I'm kind of like, no, I, I just don't buy that. That's a, that's a bad writing there. Mm. But I can't say that about this film. No. Um, mainly I think because of the genius of the Lydica character. Mm. Because he's so so well-written and so well-performed mm. that you're willing to sort of suspend disbelief for a little while and say, okay, I'm just going to allow that. Because yeah, 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 this yeah. this leads I me agree. to very interesting areas here. And I kind of like exploring those areas. I mean, even the implausibility of you know, his attraction to Laura, you're kind of like, well, you yeah, know, we, we, we it, said from yeah. the start, you know, what's he going to do with her once he gets her? Um, but you're kind of like, well... I'm happy to go with that because it makes it for a really interesting character. Yeah. And I mean, I think, like, I agree, Water Lanica is by far the most interesting and really the centre of the movie. But I also think Jean Tierney does a great job because mm. she both manages to be everything and nothing in the yes. way that Laura is everything and nothing. Yes. Um, and I think that must be really difficult because, as you say, like, the thing about Laura is we don't actually ever know really what no. she's thinking or feeling. And somehow Jean Tierney is able to do something with that. Mm. I think that, I mean, obviously I'm not an actor, but I just think that if somebody said to you, your part is to be nothing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, like, and yet you have to be sort of sympathetic and, you have to be and at the centre. Yeah. yeah, and you have to be also this woman who everybody desires because all mm. we're told about Laura from the beginning is how beautiful and wonderful. Yeah, you amazing know, she is. Amazing. Yeah. You know, she's this, she's clever and she's beautiful and she's glamorous and she lives this exotic life. Mm. And so she, she mm. has to be this object of desire mm. and compelling but and also is. blank. Yeah, and, and she blank. is. Yeah. Somehow Jean Tierney does both. Yeah, and uh, I think for me the remarkable thing is even when you see her, you know, um, sort of backstabbing other characters, you're kind of willing to overlook that. Yeah, you, you like her. You like her and you're kind of like... You're on her side. Yeah, you're kind of like, okay, you know, you're, you're doing something a little bit sneaky and conniving there, but mm, yeah, I still like you. <laughs> and even when she's like lying where she does about like, you know, the house and going to the house and... Yeah. I mean, she goes to the house, but she lies about details of what she does there and so forth. And even when you think, you know, you're being a bit disingenuous or, you know, you're doing that thing where people give you a bit of the truth but not the whole truth yes um you can see her do it and you're like oh oh well you know <laughs> yeah. it's like oh it's okay it's okay and she, yeah i think she i'm does, sure you have your reasons she does like, an amazing job i know that. and you make excuses for her i think in the same way that she relies on a lot of the men in her life to make excuses for her. Yeah, because she's so charming, compelling. Way, yeah, she is charming. Yeah. She's got well, she's got that kind of ineffable charisma, doesn't she? Yeah. You know, that people always talk about that people with charisma can get sort of get away with anything. Yeah, get away with murder. Because she's <laughs> so charismatic and compelling, and she's got it. Yeah, she's got somehow. it somehow. And, and all the characters <laughs> feel it, and by extension, I think the audience also feels it too. You know, yeah. when we watch it, we're kind of always on her side. 
Yes. You know, even when we suspect her, even when we think, you know, she mm. could be... She's up to no good. She's up to no good, but yeah. she's kind of like, oh, I'm still kind of on your side, though. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's it's a great performance. Um, have you seen Leap Head of Heaven, by the way? No. Uh, no, no. I've been meaning to watch that one. Oh, because that's another, that's another Jean Tierney um, film noir, and she's so great in that in a, with a very different kind of character, and it's a, one of the rare film noirs that are in colour. Mm. Um, so I think you should watch that. Yep, and we that, should talk about it in a... In, an in a future yeah. episode, yes. Yes, so it's so got, good. We've got a lot of uh, future we've got episodes a lot of already lined up just from, from this discussion alone. Is there anything we haven't covered about Laura? <sighs> there's, there's quite a lot, but I think you know, we're kind of, we are running a little bit We are running a little time. bit out of time, so we might, we might wrap it up for this inaugural episode in our sub-series yes. on film noir. Um, and we'll be back with this film noir discussion shortly. Yeah. We're not very good at uh, diary <laughs> <Timing>. management, um, <laughs> so it remains to be seen when, but it will be at some point. Some point, yes. Some point. Let's not make promises we can't no. keep. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Jimmy. This was a great chat. Oh, pleasure, absolute pleasure. And we will see you again in two weeks. Watch Laura if you haven't. It is so great. Bye. <laughs>